Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation to the fan. I'm Dave James. In a moment, I'll discuss the growing problem of affordable housing with someone from an organization trying to help. It's called NeighborWorks. In less than 15 minutes, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS-10TV, Tracy Townsend will cover a number of topics. We're asking what the president and other lawmakers are doing to keep cash in our pockets. A speedier way to track repeat criminals and cut crime. We'll show you how technology is taking on accuracy and efficiency of background checks. And we're following the fallout of Roe v. Wade as it continues with a push to sue for unintended pregnancy. And in about 40 minutes, I'll talk with Lindsay Williams, executive director of the Ohio Children's Trust Fund, which works to reduce child abuse in Ohio. First up on Columbus Perspective, on the phone with me, Leanne Adams, who is senior vice president of national initiatives for NeighborWorks. How are you? I'm well. Thank you for having me and excited to be here with you to talk about our survey findings and some critical issues facing our communities today with regards to home ownership and financial stability. Thanks for talking to us. I see that you're a University of Toledo grad. I am. I hail from Ohio, Eastern Ohio, Elizabeth, Ohio, in my hometown. That's great. Uh, tell us what NeighborWorks is. So NeighborWorks is a national nonprofit that works through a network of about 250 local community-based organizations across the country, and we support residents in those communities through uh, home ownership access, creating affordable home ownership, um, financial coaching and stability, investing in those communities, uh, creating affordable housing, rental housing, um, and building resident leaders. So there's a lot that our organizations do and that we do to invest in them across the country. And concern about affordable housing is, no pun intended, through the roof uh, because of the unbelievable spike in home values these days. Yeah, no, home ownership is definitely a challenge given the rise in housing costs and the decline in inventory. But through a recent housing survey, um, we did find that there are still some disparities that exist in home ownership, but we're also seeing some glimmers of hope. Um, but one of the things that we did learn is that the process is still too complicated. Our survey revealed that 70% of Americans still believe the home buying process is too difficult. And when you add in those challenges of affordability, it's even more difficult. So some of the, the factors though, that keep people from pursuing home ownership are credit and their overall financial standing. For instance, 64% of Americans believe that banks won't approve them for home ownership due to lack of credit or lack of savings. And 60% of black adults and 67% of Hispanic or Latinx adults reported that they need financial guidance to acquire and use that credit. But even with those challenges, uh, the outlook that our survey found was, was kind of positive. And a majority, 53% of Americans, believe that owning a house now seems more important than it did in 2019. I understand the, uh, the fear of making a commitment to buying a home, but one way to look at it to me is, whether you are renting or buying a home, there's a certain amount of money you're going to have to pay every month. So it makes sense to at least consider buying a home. That's right. That's right. And there are studies that have shown that uh, there is savings over time. And it remains, home ownership still remains one of the, the best ways to build wealth over long term in this country. Um, and neighborhood organizations, our network of organizations around the country, they can provide a variety of resources to help people on the path to home ownership. So if, it's, if you're a renter and you need to work on your credit or you want to save some money for that down payment, you need to take a home buyer education class, all of these things, and even with that down payment assistance itself, all of these things can help homeowners or people who aspire to be homeowners uh, to get into that home in a sustainable and affordable mortgage. 
that's what's really important. It seems like uh, if we do move into a recession here in the next year or so, that which a lot of people think will happen, that home values are not going to scale back the way they did back in 08. Is that uh, a correct assumption? Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's what we generally see they, they, with the rising uh, rates right now. I think there'll be a slowdown in the market, but it's hard to imagine uh, the kind of decline in home value in most, in most markets. There may be some markets where that happens. I think what we're focused is what are the, the tools to create affordable housing, so building, looking at the supply issue and building affordable housing, but also really uh, investing in these tools that do help people, particularly people of color and low-income people, to get into homeownership. So, again, what, what our survey found is that, you know, helping people to build their, their savings is important, um, you know, helping them to recover from a financial emergency, um, and then putting them on that path to homeownership, because most Americans still do want to be a homeowner. Talking with Leanne Adams, Senior Vice President of National Initiatives for NeighborWorks, you know, one aspect, uh, the down payment, 20% down on a house is just impossible for a lot of people. And these days, a starter home in the Columbus area might run a couple hundred thousand dollars, you know, twice what it would have been maybe 10 years ago. But so, so the alternative is a much lower down payment and mortgage insurance. But, you know, if you're only paying 80 to 100 bucks a month for mortgage insurance, as opposed to having to put down, you know, 20 grand on a house, that's a, it's a pretty good alternative. Yeah. I mean, we do look at uh, our organizations, organizations like the state housing finance agencies, they do offer resources and you can layer those down payment assistance resources so that you don't have to, so that that payment is sustainable for you. And that's why we think it's really important that um, organizations work with home buyers, prospective home buyers to prepare them so they understand the cost, so that they're building savings and they're really uh, valuable, like they can maintain that home going forward. And so, you know, looking at how to access those down payment costs, looking at buying through a nonprofit, like uh, they're in the, at like Homeport, they're in the Columbus area. They're one of our neighbor's organizations. They're not only helping people become homeowners, they're building homes too. And those are affordable homes for people in the community. Would you suggest that people who are kicking around the idea of doing it do it sooner rather than later with uh, interest rates still climbing? What we would suggest is that people start the process. So they get in touch with an organization like the NeighborWorks organization. You can go to our NeighborWorks, our website, NeighborWorks.org, to look for a network organization and meet with them. Uh, understand the process. Take a home buyer education class. If you are... Um, they can work with you to build a savings plan if you need to repair your credit or build your credit if you're a renter. They can start you on that path. They can meet people where they are. So I think a lot of people think, like, let's start with looking for a house, but really you should start sooner. Do the financial coaching. Do the housing counseling. Really do the math and make and some savings and identify other resources that can help you. You know, even small towns are getting hit. There's a, a rural area in Ohio where I know someone who's on a fixed income whose rent went from 465 to 700 and, and it's just not sustainable for them. And these days, too, with, with the way that home values have increased, even in a small town, you might not be able to get a mortgage for much less than 700 a month. It's, it's getting tough out there. It is getting tough. It is. And, um, you know, in our, in our survey found that savings for an emergency fund continues to be a challenge for Americans. You know, most Americans would not be able to keep up their usual expenses for more than a month, for longer than a month if they lost their primary income uh, source. And, and with these costs increasing, like you're mentioning, it makes it even more challenging. Um, we do 
do have our organizations do help. That's one of the values of working with a housing counselor or a local organization is they can help you navigate and identify some other resources, subsidies in some cases, or a more affordable housing option. But it is challenging in all communities right now. Are people uh, more reluctant to get that kind of help for home buying than they might be for, say, going to a food pantry? Uh, is it more intimidating? Uh, or, you know, I mean, what, what, are, what are people's thought processes when they turn to that kind of help? Yeah, I mean, uh, that's what I mentioned earlier. One of the things that's most challenging to people is that home buying process. It, it seems daunting to people. It's complicated. They have maybe distrust or they think a bank may not give them a loan because of their credit. And so... Uh, you know, really not just getting past that and, and seeking help. Our organizations are trusted advisors in the community. They can just sit down and have a conversation with you about what your financial goals are and help you put, you know, help put you on that path to getting to wherever that is, whether it's, you know, a, a better budget, monthly budget, creating savings, just focus on housing stability right now. Coming out of the pandemic, there are a lot of people who are still having financial challenges coming out of this pandemic. <clears throat> and there are some resources still available to help folks. Just a minute or so to go here with Leanne. You know, the other thing, too, is that if you have Internet capability and a good realtor, they can step you through a lot of this, and there's not a lot of running into the bank, or, you know, you don't even have to physically meet a lot of people these days to buy a house. Yeah, you don't need a lot of people, but you want to make sure you have the right people. <laughs> so you want to have the people who are really going to help you understand the process, uh, navigate it, uh, choose a good mortgage, um, you know, really look look out for your best interest along the way. That could be a realtor, that could be a housing counseling organization, it could be a state housing finance agency, and it could be your local bank. Leanne, where do people find more information? Uh, for more information, you can go to our website, neighborworks.org, and you can find more information there. You can also uh, search for a network organization if that might be in your local community and that can help you. Okay, Leanne Adams with NeighborWorks. Uh, thanks so much for the information today. Thank you. Hello, I'm Todd Markowitz, Vice President and General Manager of Radio Ohio, which owns 97.1 The Fan. We're an equal opportunity employer dedicated to providing broad outreach efforts regarding job vacancies within our company. We seek the help of local organizations in referring qualified applicants. Organizations that wish to receive our vacancy information should send their request to the attention of Human Resources, Radio Ohio, 770 Twin Rivers Drive, Columbus, 43215. If you'd like to view our current job openings, please visit our website at 971thefan.com and Thanks for listening. Science is not an opinion. People come before pipelines. It's not too late to act on climate. No one is above the law. At Earth Justice, we hold these beliefs to be self-evident. As a national legal nonprofit fighting for your right to a healthy environment, we are 150-plus lawyers representing clients free of charge because now, more than ever, the Earth needs a good lawyer. No one fights more cases on the environment than Earth Justice. And we win because these are fights we cannot lose. We win for scientists so they can serve at the EPA. We win at the Supreme Court because clean water is for everyone. We win against fossil fuel plants so communities can breathe freely. If you believe what we believe, then help us fight the good fight and help us keep winning by going to earthjustice.org today. That's earthjustice.org. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. 
Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, here's Tracy Townsend from her Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. Thank you so much for joining us for Face the State today. I'm Tracy Townsend. President Biden spent some time in the Buckeye State, specifically Northeast Ohio. In Cleveland, the president covered a variety of topics, ranging from intel building in Licking County to the deadly police shooting of an Akron man. We'll start with the reason the White House made Ohio the heart of his presidential visit. As 10TV's Andrew Kinsey shows us, it's all about the economy. President Joe Biden back in the Buckeye State using the rock and roll city as a backdrop for his plans to shore up a rocky economy. And when the middle class does well, everybody does well. His visit comes as the country faces several financial challenges from the impact of a global pandemic, the war in Ukraine, to the global inflation directly impacting millions of Americans and their savings. We turned a promise broken into a promise kept. It matters to workers. It matters to their families. It matters to the country. You all remember what the economy was like when I was elected a country in a pandemic with no real plans how to get out of it. The president pushing his administration's work to build up the economy, which includes money in the American Rescue Plan and fixing pension problems, helping roughly 2 million workers and retirees avoid benefit cuts, impacting roughly 100,000 Ohioans. Motor employee plans will remain solvent for decades and come at least until guaranteed till 2051. These retirees, those retirees who lost their benefits, will have them restored retroactively. Without this government aid, the Biden administration says the future of the roughly 200 pension plans receiving assistance was in jeopardy, leaving workers and retirees without full benefits, struggling to pay for housing, food, and other essentials. There's no other place I want to be than right here with the workers in this room and the workers that build America. I see you, I hear you, and I'll always have your back, I promise. God bless you, and may God protect our troops. The American Rescue Plan, which passed last March, has several layers to it, including assistance to struggling businesses for their pensions. Reporting in Cleveland, Andrew Kinsey, 10TV News. U.S. Senator Sherrod Brown was there for the president's visit and quite emotional when talking about the pension issue Andrew just mentioned. I remember the first time I heard about the pension issue was 2011. I was speaking with labor attorney Sandy McNair in Cleveland, who was representing iron workers and grocery store workers in those days. Workers and retirees and businesses knew the situation was getting worse, but there was no movement. There were no rallies. There were no champions in Washington to take up that cause. But the people in this room, and I, the people in this room changed that. And I can look at person after person and pick people out and see what you did and watch you walk the halls of Washington. And because of you, because the people in this room, we changed that. We passed the Butch Lewis Act, 50 to 49 in the Senate.
Hours before the president even landed in Cleveland, the Ohio Republican Party released a statement on the visit saying Tim Ryan and Nan Whaley are now desperate to hide from Joe Biden and all the very failures they supported, including skyrocketing gas prices, real wages falling and soaring inflation that are crushing Ohio working families. Again, that statement from the Republican Party here in our state. We did make contact requesting interviews from Whaley, from the Republican Party and from Tim Ryan. We did not get a response. You you can listen to the president's full speech at 10tv.com. President Biden also addressed the recent deadly police shooting in Akron that captured national attention and outrage. I want to make one serious comment about uh, the shooting and the death of Jalen Walker. The Justice Department and Civil Rights Division of the FBI field office in Akron, Ohio, and the local U.S. Attorney's Office are closely monitoring and viewing what happened. The FBI continues to coordinate with state and local partners to provide resources and specialized skill. If the evidence reveals potential violations of federal criminal statutes, the Justice Department will take the appropriate action. Before we get to Ohio political leaders' reaction to the shooting, Tentevee's Lindsay Mills walks us through the details of what happened. Officers run towards a car as it moves slowly over the sidewalk. The passenger door opens and you can see Jalen Walker wearing a mask get out and run away from the car. Officers start running. The officers begin firing at Walker. In all 13 videos, the eight officers can be heard firing shots for at least six seconds. Authorities confirm Walker was unarmed at the time he was shot. Akron police say they recovered this gun, a loaded magazine, and a gold ring from the car he was in. The police chief said officers were on heightened alert when responding to the attempted traffic stop, then pursuit, because they believe a shot was fired from the vehicle Walker was driving. The ODOT camera captures what we believe to be a muzzle flash coming out of the car. Again, BCI will be determining whether or not that, in fact, is the case. Lindsay Mills, 10 TV News. What's next in the investigation? Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost posted a video online detailing what BCI needs to do. Each investigation begins with a thorough documentation of the crime scene. BCI methodically collects all the evidence at the scene. In this case, that work is largely completed. The evidence will be processed at BCI's crime lab. The investigation is conducted by expert personnel. This is the 29th officer-involved shooting the BCI has conducted just this year. Hundreds packed the statehouse lawn and the streets of downtown Columbus calling for justice for Jalen Walker. I'm trying to think from both sides, you know, how were they, how were the police feeling and, you know, why was that an instinct and I just can't bring myself to find any reason to do that to somebody. I just, I, I wonder what would happen if it were, were a white man. Walker's family has asked for peace with any and every protest or rally that takes place. And the chair of the Congressional Black Caucus, Joyce Beatty, who represents the 3rd U.S. Congressional District, is calling for more action on police reform following the deadly shooting. The congresswoman sent this statement to our newsroom, saying, in part, far too many black people in America are killed at the hands of police during alleged traffic violations, and we cannot remain silent. This is not an acceptable outcome, and we can no longer afford to be merely outraged and heartbroken. Again, that a statement from Congresswoman Joyce Beatty. She went on to extend her condolences to Walker's friends and family.
Governor Mike DeWine also commented on the Akron police shooting investigation. Hearts go out to, to the family, um, and this is a process that the Attorney General's office uh, is going through and, and doing this investigation. Uh, I, I think it is, you know, this is the process that we envisioned, uh, that there would be a separate uh, entity, uh, a separate agency that would be doing the investigation. I think that, uh, you know, helps people f feel better about it, and, and it's the appearance of uh, an impartial uh, examination of this is, is very, very important. Um, you know, these things take time. Uh, they take longer than we would want. The governor made that statement during a news conference detailing a new way to help solve crimes in Ohio. It centers around a new database, which is also supposed to make it easier for gun store owners to track who is purchasing firearms. 10TV's Kiana Dyches explains how it works. When it comes to solving crime, every second counts. Time is of the essence. And also sharing information. Ohio is now investing nearly $5 million in an online warrant tracking system. It is free and easy to our friends in local government to use. Uh, it's state funded and locally operated. The Franklin County Sheriff's Office says they could see an estimated 15 to 20,000 unserved warrants at any given time. Sometimes when you would bring people into custody trying to verify whether that warrant is still valid um, could take some time. And so sometimes you would you would keep long people longer than you should. The new electronic system aims to change that by simplifying the way warrants and protection orders are uploaded to state and national databases. Not only is it free, but it makes five times as efficient. It used to take one hour. Now you can do five times that work in one hour with this system. Time is not the only challenge that comes with filing warrants with pen and paper. Some say it also puts officers at a disadvantage. An officer could be stopping somebody unwitting to the fact that they were wanted for another crime. And so they might have some interaction. Maybe there was a danger posed there. And maybe they even let this person go because they didn't know that uh, they had an active arrest warrant. They say processing warrants faster could also improve the accuracy of background checks. That could benefit gun store owners. Information about someone uh, that is relevant to whether or not they are a danger to themselves or, and whether they are a danger to the public is relevant to whether or not they can walk in and buy a gun. The Meigs County Sheriff is already using the system. He says it's working in his county. We want to make sure that the people that's getting their hands on these guns or firearms is buying them, that there's not something slipping through a crack there that could have been taken care of by this. Coming soon, a Senate bill back in the spotlight why an Ohio state senator wants to allow women to sue after an unintended pregnancy. Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors. You want to feel important. You want to be a part of something bigger, something that matters and can help change things. You want to feel like you belong. We know. We felt that way, too. And that's why we did something about it. We aren't just Army National Guard soldiers. We are normal people just like you. And together, we can make a difference. Take on your legacy. Visit NationalGuard.com to find out more. Sponsored by the Ohio Army National Guard. Aired by the Ohio Association of Broadcasters and this station. At Social Security, we are always thinking of ways to save you time and make things easier. That's why we created My Social Security. 
Opening a My Social Security account gives you secure access to your personal record and interactive tools tailored for you. You can see if you are eligible to receive benefits, view spousal benefit estimates, and compare retirement benefit estimates at different ages or dates when you want to start receiving benefits. Already receiving benefits? Use your account to change your address, set up or change direct deposit, get a proof of income letter, and more. In most states, you can also request a replacement Social Security card. Save time. Go online. Open a My Social Security account at ssa.gov slash myaccount. Social Security. Securing today and tomorrow. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV. scared to start a family so I don't know what's going to happen to me if I have to lay on the table and bleed out before a doctor says it's okay to save my life so that's where I'm here women like the one you just heard from marched around the state house showing their opposition to the overturn of Roe v. Wade since that landmark supreme court decision the heartbeat law went into effect in Ohio it bans most abortions around 6 weeks or when the first fetal heartbeat is detected the change sparked several days of protests in our city recently the indianapolis star reported that a 10-year-old girl who was 6 weeks and 3 days pregnant traveled from ohio to indiana to have an abortion a reporter asked governor dewine to respond to that specific situation at a news conference this is a horrible horrible tragedy uh, you know for a 10-year-old to be assaulted year-old to be raped, um, it, you know, as a father, as a grandfather, it just, it, it's just gut-wrenching to even, even, even think about it. Uh, I assume uh, that the doctor has reported this. Uh, I assume that if she was treated in an emergency room, you know, these are all mandatory reporters. Uh, so I'm assuming that this has been referred to Children's Services. I, I assume it has also been referred to local, whatever the local law enforcement agency is. We have uh, out there a obviously a rapist. Uh, we have someone who is dangerous and we have someone who should be picked up and locked up forever. Um, and again, I don't not knowing all the facts of the case. The governor said he didn't know more about the case beyond what was reported in the newspaper. He did not comment on Ohio's abortion law and did not take up any follow-up questions after giving that answer we just showed you. State Senator Tina Maraha from Ohio's 3rd District tweeted a response to the same story, saying that's why she introduced Senate Bill 262. It would authorize civil action for causing unintended pregnancy, regardless of the circumstances. The senator says she referred the bill to committee late last year. Senate Bill 262 for those who are seeking um, any sort of resources is for many women and girls here in Ohio that don't have the access anymore um, to get an abortion. So some of those resources can't be used for travel or even afford the abortion in the first place in the other state. Um, some circumstances that may be potentially um, there might be support costs and attorney fees to seek the litigation. So my bill would also um, effectively take care of those costs as well that got incurred. But essentially speaking, the cost for a woman to have a birth here in Ohio is over $15,000 alone. So the, the cost that can be um, incurred from abortion can help alleviate some of that with this piece of legislation. 
the state's August 2nd primary was set after the Ohio Redistricting Commission failed to draw new state legislative maps in time. Franklin County voters will see Ohio House and Senate races on the ballot, plus a few local options. Officials say you are going to want to pay close attention to this primary. Because this is in in August uh, and we're in a lot of schools and churches and some of those uh, locations cannot accommodate us because of things that are going on, uh, renovations, uh, just all kinds of things, church uh, events. Uh, We've consolidated uh, the number of voting locations. Uh, So we're going from 320 uh, to 156. Um, So that's about, it's not quite half. Uh, but it's pretty close to 50%. So there's going to be a lot of uh, voters that are voting in temporary uh, locations. Um, And we will be sending out uh, postcard notices to all impacted voters here in in the coming weeks. And 10TV is making it easy for you to find your voting location. Go to 10TV.com slash featured links. We are keeping an eye on developments from Intel. Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost is calling on Congress to approve $50 billion in incentives for the CHIPS Act. Yost sent this statement to our newsroom. He says, in part, virtually all modern-day products and amenities depend on microchips, so it's absolutely vital that domestic chip production become a national priority. When President Biden was in Ohio, he commented on the Intel project, which is contingent on that legislation passing. I was able to work out something with Intel. They're going to provide for over 7,000 jobs in this state out of Columbus. Making making computer chips. Well, there's another bill that if we get it passed, and my guys are working like hell to pass it, it'll create another $100 million in investments in Ohio, creating more jobs. Jewel products are back on store shelves, and this comes even as the Food and Drug Administration looks at how to curb vaping use and even ban some products for a short time. 10TV's Lindsay Mills explains what happens next. These are the tiny little cartridges or pods that contain nicotine for Juul vape devices. You'll remember last month, the FDA ordered Juul off the market. One day later, a federal appeals court temporarily blocked the government ban. The product is back on shelves for now. The FDA said on Twitter it suspended the order pending further scientific review. A statement from Juul Labs following the initial FDA decision says in part, quote, we have provided sufficient information and data based on high quality research to address all issues raised by the agency. Juul argues its product is used as a way for smokers to transition away from traditional cigarettes. We need to invest in understanding what the health effects are of the use of these products um, immediately and, and very quickly because for a long time, there just really was no data. Lauren Wold from the Ohio State University College of Medicine has published research on vaping's harmful effects on the heart and lungs. If they are totally taken off the market, uh, my fear is that people will start making their own juices. And I know this is actually something uh, working in a college setting. You know, I have various students that will tell me that, oh, my my friend sells those. So essentially banning Juul isn't going to solve this problem. Right. 
He says there also needs to be a crackdown on the marketing of all vape products, and the education of harmful effects needs to be amped up. The FDA says it's only suspending the order, not withdrawing it altogether. It's unclear how long its review process will take. Lindsay Mills, 10 TV News. The Ohio State Fair is just weeks away, and up next, we're going to take a look at the security in place and what you can expect as you and your family enjoy the rides, the attractions, and yes, that fair food. This is a St. Jude moment. Ashton was a high-level athlete, and in a, an instant, your world flips, and your healthy five-year-old competitive cheerleader has a brain tumor. And the physician was like, your best option is St. Jude. Receiving treatment that was life-saving for our child and knowing that that treatment would be of no cost to us was a huge weight lifted. Learn more at stjude.org. Each year, Ohioans are injured and killed in train car accidents that could have been avoided with properly functioning gates and flashing lights. Facts show that gates and lights together prevent more train car accidents than stop signs or crossbucks alone. How can you help? Approach all crossings with caution and report bad railroad crossings at angelsontrack.org. That's angelsontrack.org. Because bad crossings kill good drivers. Sponsored by Angels on Track, aired by OAB and this station. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV. Flags at the State House and across Ohio were lowered in honor of the lives taken in Illinois during a shooting at a 4th of July parade. It happened in Highland Park, a suburb of Chicago. The gunman admitted to the rampage and while being on the run considering another shooting just hours before getting arrested. Shootings during public events like that are enough to put everyone on high alert. Thousands of people will pour into the gates of the Ohio State Fair. And just like in years past, people will have their bags searched and will need to pass through metal detectors for entrance. The shooting in Illinois has made security at venues like the fair even more of a priority. At the Marion County Fair, people may not know it, but the sheriff's office beefed up its presence. The sheriff's office explained that they plan to add more security prior to the shooting in Illinois at the Ohio State Fair, which will open to the public later this month after COVID closed it over the past two years. Plus, the Highway Patrol says it's preparing for more people and will respond with more troopers on foot. Everywhere that you look while you're at the fair, we want to make sure that you have a trooper that you can see, somebody that you can run to or or go over to and communicate with or or share a concern with. Uh, The troopers are there to assist those who are attending the fair, but also to keep an eye out for anything that may not seem uh, quite right so that we can uh, intervene if we need to. Mass shootings, the pandemic, the historic Supreme Court rulings, all of these headlines can put mental health top of mind. 10TV's Ashley Bornanson asked medical experts how you can take care of yourself as people look for ways to cope. It's like you can't trust me to make the choice for my own body, but you can trust me to raise a child. Abigail Houston says the overturn of Roe v. Wade leaves her in fear of what this could mean for her future. And just like a lot of tears and fear, you know, what do I do? Do I get on birth control, even though it was really hard on my body? Felicity Neal says protesting helps her feel like she's making an impact. As a woman of color and then having Roe v. Wade overturn and 
also Black Lives Matter going on. It just feels like there's no space for me in the world, I guess. So does Tara Weld, who walks beside her son and family. As somebody who has had a a miscarriage in the past and had to go through a a medical abortion, um, it's really scary to think that there may not be that health care out there. Um, here locally, if anything were to happen with our pregnancy. All three of these women are going through their own type of trauma. Ariana Gallagher says everyone is handling these recent events differently based on how they relate to the events. She's the associate director of the Star Trauma Recovery Center at OSU Wexner Medical Center. For a lot of people, it's sort of an existential dread. Um, A lot of questioning, what does this mean? She recommends speaking to a counselor and exploring ways on what action you can take. How do you want to spend your energy um, pushing for the outcomes that you would prefer to see that you think would make a, a positive difference in the world? Your feelings of being unsure is justified. And it is normal. Faith Walters, a licensed social worker and trauma professional, says signs of trauma experience include trouble falling asleep and waking up, nightmares, disassociation like spending hours watching TV or playing video games, struggles with emotional regulation. Like being very angry, um, angry outbursts, yelling, screaming, throwing things. Sometimes it is just crying and you cannot identify that one thing that has you so tearful and emotionally upset. And practicing mindfulness 15 to 20 minutes a day. Abigail Houston says she's taking some of these tips to heart. I have really good friends. We all try to be very emotionally intuitive and intelligent and we're like each other's support system. Walter says mindfulness is just sitting in your emotions for 10 to 15 minutes and acknowledging that they're there, but they won't be there forever and things will get better day by day. And there's this reminder for you. The new mental health hotline 988 launches nationwide this month. By July 16th, every state must have the hotline up and running. The goal is to help existing hotlines take more calls, provide local assistance, and increase call center coverage to include text and chat, as well as make the number easier to remember. We certainly thank you for joining us today on Face the State, and we wish you a great week. That's again Tracy Townsend, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, from their Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. When times get dark, we can't see the help that's all around us. Maybe you're not sure how you'll make rent, or you lost your job. When you don't know where to turn, let 211 be your guiding light. Our guides are ready to connect you with the help you need. 211, how can I help you? Call or visit 211.org. 211, get connected, get help. A message from United Way and the Ad Council. We have the world at our fingertips. Inspiration in our touch and power in our hands. Right here in our hands. We have the power to save a life. If you see a teen or adult suddenly collapse, call 911 and push hard and fast in the center of the chest. The power is in your hands. Anthem Foundation is the proud national supporter of the American Heart Association's hands-only CPR campaign. This is Doug Ute, Executive Director of Ohio High School Athletic Association. High school coaches can be the biggest influence on kids having a positive experience in sports. Sports set the foundation for life lessons that remain long after playing days are over. 
This is Gene Smith. Please join Life Sports at The Ohio State University and the Ohio High School Athletic Association as we partner with the Susan Crown Exchange on its Million Coaches Challenge. Get involved and learn more at go.osu.edu backslash coach beyond. When kids need medical care, they will often face stressful and life-changing experiences. They miss out on the things that make being a kid fun. Starlight Children's Foundation has delivered happiness to 17 million seriously ill kids and their families at more than 800 children's hospitals and healthcare facilities. Our programs entertain and inspire hospitalized kids. Learn more at starlight.org. That's starlight.org. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hi, this is Dave James, and on the phone with me is Lindsay Williams, Executive Director of the Ohio Children's Trust Fund. How are you? Good, how are you? Good, thanks for talking to us. Tell us what the Ohio Children's Trust Fund is. Absolutely. We are Ohio's sole dedicated public funding source for child abuse and neglect prevention. We also serve as the state's chapter of Prevent Child Abuse America. Okay, so when you talk about funding for such things, what does that mean? We are a funder um, of programs across the state that help to strengthen and support parents and families um, so that they have access to the tools and resources that they need um, to really help their children grow and thrive. Um, and we, we seek to you know support parents before they would get to a point of um, any sort of, of crisis or challenge with the goal of preventing child abuse and neglect. And April is National Child Abuse Prevention Month. How big of a problem is it in Ohio? Child abuse and neglect is a fairly big problem in Ohio and across the nation. Um, We probably have an average of one confirmed case of uh, child abuse and neglect about every 29 minutes in Ohio. Wow. It seems like most people... They think uh, in terms of uh, children's services at the county level investigating, is that more often than not how, uh, how these things proceed? more focused on the prevention side um, you know when when individuals in the communities have a concern that a child may be being maltreated um, there are um, local hotlines available for them to reach out to their county public children's services agency and there's actually a statewide number for reporting um, 1-855-OH-CHILD and that can connect you with the um, appropriate agency in your community um, at the trust fund, we say we focus more upstream. Um, So we really want to connect with families in the community to provide kind of some of those more universal parenting supports, maybe mentoring programs, um, maybe connecting parents with concrete supports and resources, um, especially newer parents or um, low-income parents, to to really kind of help um, them be better parents, be, be more, you know, um, stable, understand um, child development so that um, those um, problems that could lead to abuse or neglect are prevented before they would ever occur. Well, sometimes, you know, you hear people talk about how it's harder to get 
a driver's license than it is to be a parent. There are no rules or regulations about that. And I guess some of these programs... It's a hard job, probably the hardest job you'll ever have. Right. And, And I guess some of these programs that you have kind of pick up the slack where... Some people may go into it not knowing exactly what they're doing and need, needing to be guided. Yeah, absolutely. We, we fund a lot of um, different parenting support programs at the local level. Um, we, we kind of have a regionalized approach to that. We have eight regional prevention councils across the state with community members that come together and, and kind of look at the specific needs and resources for that area of the state and determine what programs are going to be um, most suitable for families in their local community. Um, So we do a lot of work related to that. We also have some statewide programs, um, you know, to support um, families. um, You know, one such program is our Early Childhood Safety Initiative Program, um, and that's been really successful in recent years. Talking with Lindsay Williams, Executive Director, Ohio Children's Trust Fund, how do you or does your agency coordinate or work around domestic violence groups because they're kind of intertwined, child abuse and domestic violence? They, they can be um, intertwined. Um, you know, when you think of um, adverse childhood experiences, so these are all of the challenges that, that children experience up to and including child abuse and neglect. Um, you know, family violence is definitely a part of that. Um, and so it's just really offering those resources and making connections to those groups um, where you may have, you know, moms or dads that, that may have those higher risk factors for abuse and neglect and need some of those additional support to uh, safely, um, you know, parent their children. When the pandemic hit in 2020, what did that do to the family dynamic and has it had an impact on child abuse numbers in Ohio or nationally? Yeah, absolutely. It did. In Ohio and nationally, um, when the pandemic hit in 2020, what we saw was um, this decrease in reporting. And we know that that wasn't, you know, attributed to the fact that that less abuse or neglect was happening. Um, Potentially, you know, it, it could have been more because when you think about increased parenting stress um, and increased, you know, economic stress for families that can be a risk contributor to child abuse and neglect. But what what had happened with um, everyone, um, you know, being socially isolated and um, schools going to the virtual schooling was a lot of those um, mandated reporters, a lot of those community members, coaches, um, you know, pastors, neighbors, um, that, that previously would have eyes on children and maybe be able to, you know, bring up some of those concerns they were seeing or not seeing um, um, kids. Now, since that time, um, numbers and reporting numbers have um, kind of bounced back to, um, you know, what we typically see, but there was definitely a decrease there for a while. That must have been a, a really scary situation for someone in your position because if, the, if it's parental abuse, as you said, the kids have become isolated away from schools and mentors and virtually locked up in the home with their abuser. Potentially, yes. So so during the pandemic, um, you know, our organization and the providers that we work with really shifted their focus. And it um, from, you know, providing a lot of in-person services to providing a lot of virtual services. 
So, um, you know, some steps that we had taken during the pandemic was, you know, really, um, you know, developing some community support resources that are available on our website to, um, you know, parents and providers. Um, a lot of our providers, um, you know, we had them checking in with um, the families that they would serve and seeing if they needed any additional supports or resources. Um, and we really saw a big shift towards, um, you know, the need for providing concrete economic supports during that time. So, you know, with, with the kids being home, that's additional food items and things like that. Um, and we did a lot of messaging around, um, you know, checking in with, um, you know, the families that you know that may need a little bit of additional help or those parents um, during that time. So that's kind of how we approached it, um, you know, through that prevention line. Does your agency get into uh, dispensing information about, uh, you know, signs of child abuse that people should be watching for if they if they know of a child and, and they may suspect something's going on? Yeah, I can speak to that. We do a, a little bit of work um, training mandated reporters, um, like for, um, you know, daycare providers and early childhood and things like that. Um, they're... Um, Signs of child abuse and neglect, there's, there's physical signs, and then there's emotional signs, and then there's behavioral signs. Um, you know, so obviously physically bruises or injuries, especially injuries that would not be consistent with the developmental age of a child. So, for example, um, you know, a non-mobile infant um, typically would not have, um, you know, bruising. Um, and a lot of times, you know, as, as kids become toddlers, you're going to see bruising as they learn to walk and they have those normal bumps and bruises, but there are certain areas of the body where those are more typical. Um, you know, in terms of behaviors, if you see, um, you know, significant behavioral changes with a child, so maybe um, a child that's normally very active and outgoing that you, you know, notice um, starts to become very withdrawn, or maybe a child that's normally pretty um, calm if, if they start displaying, you know, atypical signs of aggression for their personality. Those are some signs to um, look for, um, you know, significant changes in maybe their grades at school or their interest in hanging out with um, friends or, um, you know, people outside of their family. Those could also be potential signs. In looking at your uh, bio, I see that for over 15 years you've been a child advocate and involved in child welfare. You were a volunteer with a, as a court-appointed special advocate. You obviously have a lot of passion for this. Has there been an addition of services and better resources over the years for uh, this situation? There really has been. Um, you know, it, it's constantly an evolving field. I think one thing that has always struck me over the years is that, you know, the individuals that work in, um, you know, children's services agencies that, that want to help strengthen families and protect children are truly passionate about the work. And, um, I mean, it, it, it's a tough field to be in, but it's a very rewarding field to be in. Um, you know, we've seen a huge shift in even, you know, maybe the last three to four years um, towards more of a prevention lens. And, you know, for, for, for many years, it was always, you know, how do we support families or how do we, you know, help these children um, after abuse or neglect has occurred. And in more recent years, there's been a really concerted shift to 
how do we start, you know, interacting with families sooner and engaging families sooner? Um, because, you know, for the most part, you know, parents want to be good parents. They love their kids. They, they want to take care of their kids. Um, you know, some parents struggle with maybe, you know, mental health problems or, um, you know, substance um, abuse issues that, you know, um, impact their ability to care for their kids. So how do we connect with them sooner and provide them those support before it becomes a crisis that would, um, you know, escalate to abuse or neglect for children. So is it a matter mostly of you going to these parents, or are they connected through another agency, or how does that joint uh, effort begin? Yeah, it's definitely a joint effort. So, um, you know, we offer, um, the, the Ohio Children's Trust Fund offers a number of grant programs across the state. Um, again, we have our regional prevention councils that receive funding every year, and they have experts in their local communities that come together, um, kind of assess the needs of those local communities and determine what programs are going to be um, a best match for their families. Um, and then, you know, sometimes we'll look at broader statewide efforts as well. Um, so, um, you know, public awareness campaigns. Um, I, I had mentioned earlier our Early Childhood Safety Initiative, which is a program that really started to, that we really started to stand up at the beginning of the pandemic. And that provides um, just these brief parent education sessions paired with, um, we, we say provision of concrete support items, but what that essentially means is if I'm a, you know, um, a lower income parent and I need maybe help with um, a crib or a car seat or, um, you know, child safety gates for the house or maybe a stroller, um, some sort of item like that, I could reach out to one of my local providers and, um, you know, they would help educate me maybe if, it's, if I'm getting a high chair, maybe they're going to educate me on um, and the nutrition. If I'm going to, if I need a car seat, they're going to educate me on how to properly install a car seat. And then um, kind of providing those supports for families. So, so we really reach families um, kind of in a variety of different ways. And we always strive to kind of meet families where they're at. Um, you know, I think an important message is that, you know, parenting is a hard job, the hardest job you're ever going to have. And all parents um, are going to need, you know, help and support sometimes. And it's okay to, to seek out those help and supportive services. Um, because that just, you know, that just means that you are, you know, striving to be the best parent you can be. Talking with Lindsay Williams, Executive Director, Ohio Children's Trust Fund, just a moment or two to go here. I wanted to ask about uh, the annual awards, I guess, that you present, the Everyday Ohio Hero Awards. Can you tell us about that? Yes. Um, every year in April, we, we really um, talk about our Be a Hero in the Eyes of a Child campaign, and that just speaks to the important role that a single trusted adult supporter um, can have um, for a child. And so um, every year we honor um, Everyday Ohio heroes across our eight prevention regions. So here in central Ohio, um, Michaela Wilson received the award for her work as a case manager for youth who have experienced um, sexual exploitation and um, human trafficking. In Cleveland this year, we honored Michaela Lang, who um, herself had grown up in foster care and is currently helping kids nearing the age of 18 in foster care transition to independence. 
Um, and then in Toledo, we gave the award to Jenna Rambo, and she is a Help Me Grow Home Visitation Program Coordinator, um, working with expectant parents to build their, their caregiving skills and encouraging bonding. So, so we have these heroes throughout the state, and we are truly, you know, um, as a state, just very lucky to have such incredible um, everyday Ohio heroes throughout the state that are working to help children and families. It's outstanding. Uh, I wanted to ask, you know, a lot of times we hear about this cycle that's difficult to break of somebody who was abused as a child who was perhaps more likely to be an abuser when they get older. Does it also work the opposite way? Are there many people who are strong child advocates who perhaps were abused and, and want to make a difference when they become adults and get involved in it? Oh, absolutely. You know, what we see a lot of times, and, and this is something that, you know, research has been emerging on throughout the years, and I'll just kind of tell you a story dating back to my early days as a child welfare caseworker. Um, you know, a lot of times I would see situations where you would see individuals that have just had, you know, um, been through some really extraordinary circumstances. And, you know, sometimes you'd have one person that would really seem to overcome it and thrive into adulthood, you know, maybe um, then wanting to give back and be a support to other children or really being, you know, an active member in their community. And then somebody, you know, else that have had similar circumstances that really struggle with, you know, depression, anxiety, mental health, substance abuse into adulthood. And you always wonder, like, what makes the difference between those two individuals and how did they both kind of come out of similar circumstances, somebody thriving and somebody not. And research over the years has really been starting to point to now that positive childhood experiences can help mitigate the impacts of some of that adversity. So things like like, um, you know, having trusted adult supporters outside of the home, having somebody that you can talk to about your feelings that understands, you know, um, what you're going through, feeling, um, you know, accepted and included at school, things like that can be positive childhood experiences that help um, individuals to um, kind of build resiliency to, to the impacts of those negative experiences such as abuse or neglect. It's great, too, because it shows that people who do, maybe not even in a direct way, but are in, in some way influential around kids, perhaps because of what they do in life and when kids see them doing that job and maybe admire them, it shows the level of influence and importance that just about anybody can have if they're in that environment. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of times, you know, and that's that's really um, kind of the thought behind our um, Be a Hero in the Eyes of a Child campaign. Our tagline is, you know, be a hero in the eyes of a child, one simple act of encouragement at a, at a time. Because you, you never know when those simple acts of encouragement and, um, you know, that, that support and that guidance that you're giving to a youth is really going to impact them um, and make a difference long term in their life. If people want more information about some of the services that are provided, uh, how do they find out about that? Um, they can go to our website, octf.ohio.gov. Okay, talking with Lindsay Williams. She's the Executive Director, Ohio Children's Trust Fund. Anything else you'd like to add? Um, I 
I think I would just encourage everybody out there, um, you know, to be kind to children, to, to go out there, to make that difference, to be encouraging, um, because you never know what someone is going through, and those simple acts of kindness every day can really make a huge difference. Good stuff. Uh, Lindsay Williams, again, Executive Director, Ohio Children's Trust Fund. Thanks so much for your time today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. This has been Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. Heard each Sunday morning at 6 on WBNS AM, that's 1460 ESPN Columbus. And Sunday morning at 7 on WBNS FM, Sports Radio 97.1 The Fan. Join us again next Sunday for Columbus Perspective.